All right, welcome to a Tuesday night edition of the Land of Three podcast. This is your host, Sam Carlson, coming to you from Chicago. Joined here in Chicago by Mark Gusich and Dylan Tito. We're also joined by Travis Warinski out in St. Louis. How's everybody doing tonight? I am, uh, you know, really excited to, uh, to hop on uh, this Tuesday night edition, Sammy. I think we got some, uh, some special stuff uh, saved up for the fans, so can't wait to talk some hoops with you boys. Absolutely, absolutely. And you're right, we do have a special episode tonight. Uh, we have the distinct honor of being joined on an interview uh, by Jabari Brown, uh, ex-Mizzou great, ex-Los Angeles Laker, and current Santa Cruz Warrior, coming off of a last night performance where he put up 30 points and an unfortunate playoff loss. So we're really looking forward to that. But uh, jumping in on some topics that we wanted to touch on tonight, guys, obviously we're talking uh, to Jabari. We're talking about a little bit of his time in college, growing up in Oakland, and then obviously playing a stint with the Lakers and Kobe, and now uh, you know being, on, being in the D-League, playing some, some seasons in China, just getting a better feel for his experience thus far in the NBA. So what I wanted to kick it off with, guys, and I'll throw it over to you to start it off, Travis, is just uh, where do you think the state of the uh, – NBA developmental league is right now and uh how do you think it continues to be improved to really make it more of a factor for NBA teams to develop their talent yeah so it'll be a lot more relevant now I think with the partnership with Gatorade um even though 40 percent of current NBA players have spent time in the NBA D-League um and four current NBA head coaches actually started in the NBA D-League um so it does have a lot of uh, it does resonate with a lot of the players now, but I think with this partnership, it's just going to keep growing. And I think we're going to see a shift um, in the next five, ten years maybe um, with how big this league's going to come and with the increasing salaries that are, that are going to happen over the next few years. I think it could be a, a big part of how the NBA um, not only develops its talent, but also uses it as a kind of a testing, testing ground for some other rules and um, new changes that it could implement in the NBA. Yeah, one thing to potentially touch on with that, a few issues that the D-League is still facing is uh, I think they've got 26 franchises signed up to have a sole D-League team, which is obviously still four short uh, of the 30 they need. So not every single D-League team has necessarily a feeder into their, uh, their NBA program. The other thing, obviously, is the issue of pay. You know, Probably the reason why a lot of guys like Jabari and countless others have gone overseas to make a better paycheck. I know just next year in the collective bargaining agreement, they've uh, slotted out uh, the third structure of payment, which is the lowest structure of payment and raised the top two just a little bit. So we're looking, I believe at uh, $45,000 and $35,000 salaries, which obviously isn't a ton. So I'll throw that over to you, Mark. Where do you think the, uh, really the pay structure needs to be at to really entice these guys to stay here, not go play overseas? Yeah, I don't know what the magic number is necessarily, but you got to be paying these guys more. I mean, when you look at the, the lifestyle they can get overseas with the travel and just kind of the, the fame they can grow over there, um, obviously there's a lot more money on the line, and especially you know with taxes being different overseas, I think we really got to raise the bar because it would be awesome to see the D League feeding into the NBA. Uh, you know, much 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 like the MLB um, and other sports, just you know seeing those guys. Uh, keeping them on our home turf and being able to send those up to the NBA, I think that would make the D-League fun and it would make it watchable because, you know, quite frankly, you can see a lot of guys from college that you don't get to see anymore. Yeah, it could definitely make it a lot more marketable if you had some guys that maybe played their college ball at 
Carolina or Duke staying there, like, you know, in Greensboro to play. Uh, Dylan, uh, throwing it over to you, you know, obviously you, you played basketball yourself growing up. Where would you put that number at? If you were a guy coming out of college right now, uh, you didn't necessarily have a, an option right away to play in the NBA. What would you need that D-League salary to be to sort of stay or keep you here in the States and instead of going overseas to play? No, it's a, it's a great question. And, and obviously, guys, I think we know it's all circumstantial, right? If you've got a kid who's, you know, financially, uh, you know, you know, cornered a little bit where he can help his family. Um, it might be a good option. You know, if you, if you can put, you know, say fifty, sixty thousand dollars in front of a kid instead of, you know, going to Duke, that, that might be, you know, a better route for some of the guys. Me, me personally, um, it, it depends on, you know, what my game is. If I think my game is, you know, good enough where I can excel at a college, you know, that's one avenue I would take. But if I want to go hide somewhere, if I want to take a, a route where I can go to the D League and, and I might be able to maybe sit on the bench a little more, you know, have a few shining moments, you know, when I get into the ball game, um, that might be another thing. I mean, I think Sammy and, and, and Travis, Mark, you guys know the one thing I'm a big advocate about is you get some of these guys, you know, five star rival players, uh, they go to a school. And, you know, it doesn't work out. You got like, uh, say, Malik Newman at, at Mississippi State. I think a lot of these guys almost need to have consultants behind them because, you know, you go to a place like Kentucky, you ride the bench and you average seven points a game. You know, you, you went and you hid yourself and now you're going to be, you know, a top 20 pick. You're going to have that guaranteed contract. Um, so there's always going to be, you know, routes and avenues that, you know, are going to be situational, but you put that fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 in front of some people. And I think it's going to have them, you know, teetering on their decision. And also, you get a couple of the top guys to go, you know, now all of a sudden you actually have a product to watch. People are going to be more enticed if you get like, a, I think his name's Marvin Bagley, I believe, or Marvin, Marvin Bragley, uh, but one of the top guys. Bagley. Looks at, Bagley absolutely looks, looks the part. You get a guy like him on TV every Thursday, all of a sudden you guys got more people tuning in and, and more people are going to go take that avenue. So, you know, 50, 60,000, that's, that's in my sweet spot. I think, you know, a lot of people would, would be enticed to go do it. For sure, for sure. And, yeah, Dylan, you touched on a, a different issue or a different idea that really I wasn't uh, leaning towards at the beginning. What I was talking more about is college guys potentially going to the D League instead of going to play overseas. But there's that other idea of guys that want to skip college and are forced by NBA's one-and-done rule. They do actually have the option to enter their name into the D League draft. And as long as they're a year removed from high school, that next year they can go to the NBA. So, Travis, where do you see that resting as an option for these guys uh, that don't want to go play college ball? They just want to start making a paycheck right away. You got to think it's got to be a pretty viable option for a few of these kids, especially if you know they run into an academic issue or something like that, and they don't want to go play overseas at 18 years old. And you know, you hear some horror stories about players going over there having issues with their contracts and things like that. So I think it just creates a little bit more stability to these players that don't always have that option to play division one basketball. They maybe have an opt to go to a D league, you know, and make 40, 50 K until they can enter the NBA draft. So I think it becomes more of a viable option if they can keep that, if they can keep their contracts up. But I don't know if, if this league continues to develop and they're, you know, the pay continues to increase. I think the NCAA is going to run into some issues with players not going directly to play division one basketball. And they might, start looking towards the D-League. I don't know if you guys see that 
being a possibility or not, but if it pays right, then I don't see why it wouldn't be an option. For sure, and obviously it has a lot to do with pay. One other thing that they changed up in the collective bargaining agreement recently is that now NBA teams are allotted 17 roster spots with uh, two of those roster spots of the 17 actually being flip roster spots. So you can be paid both NBA and D-League, and you could flip back and forth to do either one. So you don't necessarily need to have a player get injured or to cut a guy to bring a guy up from your D-League team. You can actually stretch that roster out to 17. So with the advent of that and really what I see the summer league growing into, I think teams are going to start to see really some solid value to having a guy like an Allen Williams or a veteran point guard that really can just know the system backward and forward. Uh, you know, even if they're not a great likelihood of going up to play with the NBA team, but really bringing in your young prospects, you know, your dragon vendors and some of these guys that just aren't ready to play for the NBA teams and helping to sort of teach them the system at the D league level. So I definitely think there's value in that question. I want to ask you, Mark, is what about euros coming over to the NBA a little bit earlier with that opportunity to play D league right now? You know, some of these guys that are prospects over in Europe don't see an immediate path to playing time right away. How do you think the D league is when you're thinking from their perspective as an option to start learning an NBA system and coming over a little bit earlier? Um, you know, I think it obviously has its benefits. Like you said, just to learn the system, just to be in the same facilities as these coaches and, and you know, their eyes on you all day is a big benefit. So I think you definitely could uh, pull some of those guys out a little bit early. Um, you know, with European players, they're always going to want to stay at home as long as possible. Um, you know, obviously they can come over for the NBA for money. Um, but, you know, to touch back on Trav's point, you know, when you look at a guy like Terrence Ferguson, it's, you know, it's got to be tough for a high school kid to go out and play in Europe. So if you can present him with an opportunity that's viable financially on his, uh, you know, home in his home country where he doesn't have to go through the cultural differences, um, you know, I I think you got a good market, and I know at least I would. If you know, you look at Terrence Ferguson or Brandon Jennings a few years ago. I would love to watch one of those guys in a D League team. Yeah, one hundred, one hundred percent. And and I'll give you another another point too. Is as they expand this and as they grow it, basketball is not like it's not like a baseball. It's not like a football where where a league would be just completely secondary and an afterthought. I mean, you can you can find probably 20 to 30 teams that can produce five guys that would make for some very interesting basketball. I'm not saying it's going to, you know, even come close to rivaling college, but there could definitely be a situation where you get some matchups, um, you know, on a nightly basis where we'll be like, you know what, shit, I might tune into to one of these games on Thursday. If there's nothing else, that's going to beat it. You know, Hey, Trav would pay for a Perry Jones ticket right now. Exactly. <laughs> I'd pay, I'd pay top dollar for that. Perry Jones, Quincy Miller, Tiny Gallon, just get all those guys Tiny on the Gallen, same team. Josh Selby, Renardo Sidney. Let's roll some of these guys out. I'll be I'll watch it more <laughs> than than a, than a Clippers Portland game. Now we're okay. talking. I'll, I'll start the petition to start one in St. Louis just to get a team going here. There you go. Exactly. Now that's another thing that that's been brought up a little bit with uh, some some of the issues the D League is facing are geographic issues. A lot of these teams want you know, a D-leaguer to be practicing with their NBA team and then going and actually playing night games with the affiliates. So uh, one big thing geographically that's coming to play is that they want their D-league teams to be a little bit closer. So uh, in regards to, uh, you know, obviously the uh, some of the big secondary cities that are in a state, you know, not necessarily getting the D-leagues. Do you think that 
sometimes these teams having to put their teams in smaller markets is going to hurt their fan base, or do you think that's a good idea to make sure you can get those guys back and forth as much as possible? Well, I think you can look at Major League Baseball as a direct indicator of, of that and how it works. So I wouldn't see an issue putting it in a secondary market. Um, again, you're going to have that fan base that's going to be more loyal. You know, They can become more loyal to the NBA team now and watch those players develop. And eventually if one of those players from their – from their D League affiliate makes it or G League affiliate makes it to the NBA, I think then they'll start following that team more. So you're building more of a broader fan base when you're when you're reaching out to these secondary markets. All right. Turning it a little bit, uh, you know, they've used the D League a lot so far, a little so far, I guess I should say, as a little bit of a testing ground for rule changes. Dylan, I want to throw this one over to you and it's a thought that came to me a little bit as a lot of uh a lot of people are bemoaning the whole tank process and hitting players when you're, you're down towards the bottom of the, uh, of the draft. With uh, the D-League, do you ever see the possibility of implementing a uh, component, how, how well your D-League team does when all, the teams have, when all 30 teams have a D-League affiliate? Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, as the NBA continues to expand this, I think, you know, the ideal is to obviously have it mirror, um, your, you know, the NBA. You want to have it mirror each franchise that's out there, everyone has their affiliate and depending on how they finish, you know, throughout the D league season and the playoffs, you know, that's how the draft would eventually be implemented, but making sure you have the right pool of players going in there um, and things like that. Those, those will be some, uh, some key factors into making sure it's done right. What about other rule changes guys? I think I, I think they're already experimenting right now in the D league with the idea that instead of calling a timeout late in the game, you just get an automatic advance to half court. I know there's a lot of uh, a lot of talk about NBA t or you know the NBA game generally you know tends to slow down. We all know the last minute thirty of a game can take fifteen to twenty minutes. Uh, so any other ideas you guys could see them implementing in D league games to uh, sort of test out how you could speed up those last two minutes? Um, you know I think you you Sam actually had a. Uh a pretty good story. I think actually just bringing it to the viewers might be a good idea, but I know you were talking about um, something with the last three minutes. What, what were you saying to just, you know, high level? Yeah, no, there was, it was, so it was a Zach Lowe article that, that ran recently where he talked about an idea they're bringing to the basketball tournament uh, where the last three minutes of a game, and granted it sounds a little crazy, but the more I hear it, the more I like it. They shut off the clock in the last three minutes. So at the first dead ball, the last three minutes of a game, they shut off the clock, and whichever team is ahead, basically you have to score seven more points than where they're at. So the example Lowe gave, I think, was you know, Clippers-Jazz. If the Clippers are 97 and the Jazz are 93, you just add seven to the Clippers because they're winning, and it's the first team up to 104. So 97-93, clock's off, no more intentional no more fouling, no more slowing down the game, um, you know, running out the clock no more ending a game dribbling the ball out. You can always win or you always have to win scoring the basketball. So that's an idea. I know that Lowe said a lot of front offices will be watching in the basketball tournament, but I think so more innovative and, and, you know, maybe crazy ideas like that need to start taking place in the D league. So these guys can take a little bit of a closer look at fixing or making parts of the game a little bit better. All right. So that's talking a little bit about the D league, some potential changes, uh, but the, probably the best part of this podcast coming up here, uh, Dylan got the chance to sit down and have a good conversation with Jabari Brown, a guy that's uh, been playing in the D-League, has a lot of experience playing overseas, playing in the NBA. So it'll be great to get a firsthand account from the former Laker and former Mizzou legend. 
you know, just to start it off, um, guys, I want to thank Jabari Brown, uh, former Missouri Tiger, uh, Los Angeles Laker and guard for the Santa Cruz Warriors. I'm uh, going to be joining us for a little interview. Um, so, Jabari, I want to thank you for taking the time. Um, first question we wanted to ask was, you know, I know you're playing for, you know, close to your hometown right now for the, for the Santa Cruz Warriors. You know, what was it like growing up in the East Bay? You know, I know you had, obviously, Damian Lillard, you know, Gary Payton, a lot of legends coming out of that area. So, uh, you know, how did it help groom you? And, and, you know, what's it like, you know, playing for your hometown team currently? Kind of always, you know, inspires you to want to be one of the next guys to come out the city. Uh, you know, there's his years older than me, but seeing all the success he's had, uh, knowing him personally, you know, happy for him. And, uh, you know, I had my stint with L.A. and I'm just trying to get my next opportunity now. And playing for uh, Santa Cruz Warriors has been a, a great experience. You know, we just wrapped up last night. Unfortunately, we lost in the first round of the playoffs, but uh, definitely happy I was able to uh, play with the team. And, uh, you know, we saw, actually, was watching, uh, had a chance to catch some of the games. So definitely impressive. I saw you were right around 30 points per game, um, you know, with, with that going through the playoffs. But, you know, what's it like? So I know, I know you're close with uh, with Flip. I'm sure you guys have a, uh, you know, Phil Pressy. I'm sure you guys have a close relationship. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I know he was on the team. You know, I, I was watching his stats from afar, seeing how he was doing, and uh, when I found out that they were interested in trading for me, um, I went to deal with Dua. He, he reached out to me, and uh, we talked. And then once I got here, you know, he just uh, did a good job of helping me get, you know, accustomed to the offense, and, and he knows how who, who am I, I am as a player. And I definitely think having him out there helped me a lot. And then also, Corey, you know, he's just a guy that, you know, I live with, my roommate. So, you know, he's a good dude. And, you know, everything off the court you know, was just like, oh, that. So, you know, I know just doing a little research, Jabari, I know you spent um, a little bit of your high school time at Finley and then ended up going back to, to the Bay Area, um, spent a little time at Oregon. What, you know, what kind of went through the decision process, you know, when you decided to come down to Columbia, when you, when you committed to, to Missouri, you know, what kind of played in, into that? What was the situation like for you? Uh, when I was looking for a new home, uh, Coach Fuller was one of the first ones to reach out to my father at the time. And once I got out to campus, just seeing how Coach Hayes and Coach Fuller and everybody else, how much of a family atmosphere it was and the style of play that they were playing. I just felt like all of that fit me. They were in the Big 12 at the time, but I knew we were going to move on to the SEC, which is still a big conference as well. And I just wanted to show that, you know, I was definitely a high major player still. You absolutely showed out too, man. It's, you know, sophomore, junior year for us too, right around 20 points per game. It was it was incredible. Um, and, and, you know, I think a lot of viewers, Jabari, just because I don't think they're, they're as entwined with, you know, the NBA draft process and things like that. But could you talk to us about, you know, what it's like kind of going through the, the combine or, or, you know, pre-draft workouts with teams and stuff like that and what that kind of looks like for, for guys that are coming out of college? Um, I mean, it's first time in your career where it's just basketball. So all you have to worry about, you don't have to worry about school anymore. So it really is your job. And, uh, you know, I think I did 16 workouts, and I did one twice. I did worked out for 15 different teams. So just going to that many cities and over a span of probably a month and a half is just 
mentally and physically fatiguing. Um, and and it just it's, it's luckily something you only have to go through once, you know. But uh, it's a good experience at the same time. But you know, I feel like every guy after a while is just ready for the draft day to come, so yeah, you know, be done yeah. with the whole process. Did you did you have any mentors who who kind of went through it beforehand that were that were helping you through it or? No, nah, it was kind of like on the fly for me, you know, everything. Uh, was new and I didn't really know what to expect exactly. You know, I just knew uh, coming there and you know you only get one chance to make a first impression. And I tried to make a good impression everywhere I went. Um, you know, the next thing I think people want to just hear about it's you know talk to me a little bit about playing in China and what's the you know some of the things you came across, Jabari, whether it be you know different you know difficulties with the um, you know the language barrier things like that. You know, what's it like? Is it is it superstardom out there? Are you you know, treated like stars and celebrities, or is it kind of like you got to make a name for yourself and, and go from there? Oh, uh, China is definitely uh, it's a culture shock. Um, going over uh, across the world, you know, 16 hours ahead, everybody, for me, being on West Coast time, you know, without your family and friends, you're going to be on a team with only one other American. So everybody else is not going to speak English. You might have a teammate or two who can hold a conversation in English, but even them, it's like not great English. You know, they just speak enough. Um, so it's just kind of like you, you know, you don't have an American coach most likely. You might not be the head coach. I had a head coach my second year, so like you know, probably maybe two to three guys on the team who you can really communicate with. So it's like you got to have a good relationship with them. And then off the court, it's just, you know, it depends on what city you're in. It might not be much to do or much to eat that you like. So it's tough. It's definitely tough mentally. But you went – so you went to the Lakers, though. When you were with the Lakers, you went to China after the fact as well, right? Yeah, after after the Lakers let me go, that was the one I went to China for the first time. Okay. So tell me about the experience. I definitely want to talk about the, the, you know, the experience with the Lakers, Jabari, but when you make a move like that, going from, from the NBA to, to China or going from the NBA to the D league, you know, what's your relationship like with the coaches? Are they, are they giving you good advice as to, you know, a, B and C is what you need to work on in order to, to get a shot to, to come back on the roster or going forward, just to have a long career in the NBA. Like, are they, are they keeping a close relationship with you and telling you what to work on, or what's that look like? In my second year, my coach, uh, Bob Donald Jr., he, uh, he coached in the NBA before, and he had coached the D-League team, I think, two years, or, yeah, like a year ago before he came back over to China. He had coached in China as well. So, you know, me and him, we used to talk. He used to tell me, you know, give me advice on certain things, and, you know, just try to keep me to keep their certain things in mind, you know, come being about to come back home and possibly go back to the D League and try to, you know, get a ten day contract. So I, I think he definitely uh was a guy who uh he knew that was still a goal for me, so we talked about it. Of course. Um, so you know, just with the Lakers, man, talk to me a little bit about some of the, the fun ins and outs of the NBA. Like what was it like? Um, you know, who who were you tightest with on the team? You know, what was it like traveling? And, and you know, what are some of the, the better cities to go to? You know, what was that experience like for you? Uh, well, obviously, in Georgia, we're closer to just because, you know, I was 
my college teammate in Orlando. So, so um, you know, having him it definitely made the whole experience twice as good because it's just like, you know, you remember sitting and talking with your college teammates about wanting to play in the NBA. You don't think that you end up on the same team in a city like L.A. And then as far as, you know, traveling and all that stuff, man, it's just like the best of the best, five-star everything, take care of you. But, I mean, it's nothing like NBA, man. It's a total experience. It's going to be the best. I'll just say my favorite video. I got a chance to go to all I was in the team with Toronto. That was my first time there. This year, next year. Definitely. Do you have any uh, Do you have any stories or anything you can bring on air about uh, about playing with Kobe Bryant or any kind of uh, anything you could tell us? Um, well, my my rookie year, once I got called up, he wasn't playing. You know, he was. Uh, I can't remember what he had hurt that year, but they had shut him down for the year. But I would just say, man, just from being in training camp and stuff with him, just watching, you know, how he prepared every day, like you know. Mm-hmm. Did the same thing over and over, and, and seeing a guy who at that time was probably what seventeen or eighteen years in, still working that hard and uh, still having that much game left, it, it was just you know sometimes you would uh, sit back like man it's one of the you know top five ten players ever, you know but while you're out there you're just thinking about you know I'm trying to I'm trying to score on this guy I'm trying to get him score on me. Definitely, definitely. Well, Jabari, I, you know, I want to thank you for the time. The, the one thing that we do, we do a little quick, uh, like, hot seat segment. So I got, you know, a couple questions I'm going to rattle off. You can just give quick one-word answers. Is that cool? Yeah. All right. So now that I'm, you know, new to, new to the Bay Area, uh, one thing I wanted to ask is, you know, what's your top place to eat when you're, when you're in the East Bay? My top place to eat? Um, one of my favorite places to eat, personally, is uh, the taco truck on first half. Okay, perfect. So, best uh, next question: When you're, you know, when you're playing in the league or playing in the D League, what's your favorite city to visit? You know, when you guys are on the road. NBA. My favorite city was uh, Toronto. Uh, D League, LA. It, since I wasn't playing for LA this year. You got to talk to me a little bit about Toronto because you're actually not the first person to say that. It seems like across the uh, NBA circle, it seems like that's the place everyone wants to be. <laughs> I mean, it's just a lot, you know, it's a lot going on, man. Um, <laughs> friendly people, you know, Drake got the city buzzing. <laughs> it's yeah, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then quickly, toughest uh, toughest matchup in the NBA you ever had to uh, to go up against, just either getting beat up by him or having to D up on him, but what was the toughest player you had to go up against? Uh, i said the hardest player that I got to go, had to guard was uh, – Clay Thompson and um, CJ McCollum. Clay Thompson just because he's a threat to shoot it as soon as he crosses half court. So when you got to guard a guy from 30 feet, you know, it just makes it that much harder to stay in front of him. And yeah. it's such a good offensive team. And then I would say CJ McCollum just because, you know, he's uh, not the most athletic guy, but he, he knows how to change speed and stuff so well. And he has a real good mid-range jumper. So when you got a guy, when the guy is able to, you know, keep you off on your toes, it's going to work out to his advantage more often than not. Definitely. Who's who's the toughest guy that you were getting uh, deed up by? Uh, that was guarding me? Yeah. Uh, that one I'd have to think about. I mean, I can't remember off the top of my head. It wasn't 
just one guy. I was like, man, like, you know. <laughs> Definitely. So then, you know, in the Bay or, or wherever, growing up, favorite uh, favorite basketball player growing up, you know, number one person you looked up to growing up? Uh, Allen Iverson was my childhood favorite. All right. And then two more. Number one Mizzou memory looking back on everything. The one Mizzou memory. Uh, I'll probably say, you know, on the court, beating uh, Florida at home my sophomore year. I think they were top five at the time. That was a real big win for us. And then off the court, man, just, uh, you know, had a lot of fun with, you know, guys like Phil, uh, Jordan, Alex Oriaki, Tony Cruz, well, you know, Negus, before you left. You know, I had a lot of friends there, you know. We had uh, some good teams, some good I guys. We bumped into you guys a couple times at 10 Below. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was definitely the spot. <laughs> All right, and last question. You, you'd be shocked, but I think our viewers will like this one the most. So you definitely put a little bit of thought into it, but favorite basketball shoe of all time? Oh, that's that's easy for me. Uh, my favorite basketball shoe is the Jordan 10 to play basketball, to hoop in. Uh, but right now, my favorite shoe to hoop in. I mean, I still always take that shoe any day, but I, I really like the Kyrie 2. I haven't had a chance to wear the new Kyrie 3 yet, so I can't tell you how I feel about that one. Jordan 10 looks pretty good, too, I'll say that. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, to me, because if you wear it with the outfit, they don't look that good. <laughs> but on the court, it just looks just right. Yeah, it's perfect. That and the eleven too. It's like the one that has like just perfect amount of like being lightweight, but also just gives it's you funny a fucking style. I've, I've never been able to play in elevens for some reason. They just hurt my feet. But I would try like two or three different pair at different times in my career. Every time I had to take them off. So. Yes, it wasn't meant to be for me. I think 12s were always the roughest to play in. I thought those were always stiff as hell. It took forever to break those in. Yeah, that's definitely, I agree with that as well. All right, man. Well, Jabari, I want to uh, I want to thank Jabari Brown. Uh, tremendous season with the uh, with the Santa Cruz Warriors. Uh, obviously, with the the Los Angeles Lakers and the Missouri Tigers. Um, but Jabari, man, thank you very much. Hopefully, we get to have you again. Um, you know, sometime down the line. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, and uh, I look forward to it. Definitely, man. Good luck in the upcoming season, too, man. I appreciate it. We want to say thank you to Javari Brown for joining us on this podcast. It was awesome to have him on. Can't wait to have more guests of the like and bring you some fresh takes from guys that are living the game, not just us that are reporting on it. So thanks for joining us and keep checking us out for more episodes. One more thing I want to add. If you guys have, you know, any people you, you know, think we would want to get on the show, any type of questions, if we give you a heads up that we're going to have another special guest joining, feel free to message us uh, either through email or on our Twitter account. Give us a heads up. We'll try to give you uh, guys as much, you know, firsthand um, exposure to these guys as we can going forward. Absolutely. On Twitter at the land of three.